All right, this is membership vow number four. We have the subtitle, The Doctrine of the Church. Um, we are starting with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll pick up at verse 14. 1 Corinthians 12, we'll pick up at verse 14. Um, as I said before I started the recording, uh, I get to baptize my grandson, and there's so much that's going to happen in that, in that moment, so much of significance. Uh, first of all, him being a human boy, him being uh, a boy made in the image of God, him being a part of a covenant community, so much of his identity being put on him by community and by relationship and by family, by church culture. Um, this sense that uh, when I do a, a baptism of a baby here, I you know, always say, what, you know, what does it take to raise a child? And you all respond, it takes a church. But that concept that the importance of a local church body, uh, I think it can't be, um, maybe it can't be emphasized enough in our culture. Uh, the problem we find, and when we get to the next, that last week, submitting yourself to the government and the discipline of the church, it is a foreign concept to just about every Christian in the United States. And it is something I will ask you who are members to remember and reconfirm. Um, but it is not an easy thing. And often when we take those steps in uh, discipline, we'll talk about it again next week, someone decides, well, this church is they're interfering they're you know they're whatever it is and you run find another place that it's a little easier um, and and so as we consider the church the body of christ the adopted family um, hear these words in first corinthians 12 verse 14 for the body doesn't consist of one member but of many the foot should say because i'm not a hand i do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the great honor, the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I want to stop there. That is one of the greatest joys in the church. I'm telling you, a lot of times as a member of a church, you, you have this mindset that the people in the church can't know about this struggle. People in the church can't know about this because they'll judge me. I can, let, I can let other people know. I can even find maybe a therapist outside the church so I can keep this a secret. And yet when we have community as it should be, um, the whole body suffers and the whole body rejoices together. You rob the body of, of some of its greatest gifts of being able to share a burden, but also being able to rejoice 
together. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers and miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I'll show you a more excellent way, which leads into the love chapter. So um, question four, do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Um, Because we're seeking to follow Jesus, we desire to be a part of the body of which he is the head. I would like to rephrase that. Because we are seeking to follow Jesus, we are a part of the body. We are a part of the body. He says you are a part of the body. Uh, In the confession this morning, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. It is not optional. You are the body. The body is disfigured. If the body is all separated, all will suffer. Um, I tell young church planners, one of the greatest things about planning a church is God brings the pieces of the body together that are necessary. At the right time, someone walks in, and we needed that part of the body. Um, And so this this vow for you is, uh, is taking a step towards not viewing the church as them, or it, but me. So, so important that we get that. Because especially, and I like to emphasize this when we have new people, um, the, the thought of I am, I am coming in to see maybe, will I enjoy this or will this be, you know, will, it, will, they, do, will they have the things that I want, as opposed to I may be a missing part of this body. And the Lord has brought me here and so I encourage people, as they're part of the church, when they take this vow, to think, what, what, what do I have to bring? Why, why am I here? What is missing? What has God given me that will help and benefit this church? So often if people say, I wish we did this, or I wish we had that, I, I think it's the Holy Spirit saying, that's why you're here. <laughs> I brought you here because this church needs that, that part. So... Um, when we say church, what is this church that I'm supposed to support? Um, we have these terms in theology we call the invisible church. So the invisible church, um, and, and it's just important when we read uh, that term church in the, in the scriptures to understand at times, there's a, there's a differentiation. The invisible church, when it says the church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, it is speaking holistically of all the believers from past and future, all the believers who are in Christ. That is what we call the invisible church. uh, It is unseen to the naked eye most of the time, and the majority of believers. You ever think about this, that maybe maybe upwards of 90% of the Christians in the world now don't live in the U.S.? Pretty interesting, isn't it? We, we tend to think we're the Christian country. We're sending missionaries. Um, but, but some people say that it might be upwards of 90% of the Christians living in the world don't live in the United States. Um, so the universal church. So when we read about God's promises uh, and the bride being presented, 
it's, it's that picture of the universal church or the invisible church. Um, the visible church is what we are. Uh, we are a visible local church. Um, part of the process of membership is to try and make sure that the visible church is part of the invisible church. So um, in some churches, you can come on a Sunday and at the end of the service, the minister can say, anybody want to join today by letter of transfer? And you walk up, you sign your name, and you're in. We do an interview. People are like, what? Is it a test I have to pass? And, and sometimes they get nervous. I know when I do it with kids, sometimes um, I try to be as nice and as gentle so we don't ask Bo to come. No, just kidding. <laughs> Bo's great with the kids, by the way. But, but we do it when I should gentle, but the kid will just start crying. Like, like this is something I better pass or I'm going to get sent to bed, you know? I'm like, no, no, it's... But what it is, is it getting to know you and making sure that when you make this commitment to be a part of the visible church, that you have a credible testimony. Um, and so the visible church, those who profess faith in Christ, and the church as we see it. Um, the universal church, all of God's people around the world, and then the local church, a particular congregation. We see that uh, frequently in the New Testament, the churches that meet in different people's homes. Um, but then words used like to the church in Corinth and understanding that that, that that letter was written to all the different house churches in Corinth and there was a sense of central leadership and, and direction and um, oversight. So um, in your notes, does it say there's a brief look at the debate over dispensation and covenant theology? Yeah, um, I, it's going to be very brief. <laughs> um, but I, I, I encourage you, if it's something you're interested in, um, I have whole sets of books to help you, but it is becoming less popular than it used to be, uh, dispensational theology. But um, some of your grandparents, grandmas might have a big fat Schofield reference Bible. Um, and the Schofield and Darby really brought in this idea of dispensational theology. And dispensational theology kind of hits hinge pin is when Paul tells Timothy to rightly divide the word of God. And, and they took that as, that means the word of God is to be divided into all these different dispensations. So it's, it's weird. They take the one text that says, you know, rightly handling it, understanding the parts of Scripture and how it is used and how it is applied, to take it as God had a, a plan of salvation, and each time it fails, God goes back to plan B, plan C, plan D, um, and so you'll hear um, people talking about the gospel is God's plan B or God's plan C. Um, and if I think it's in your notes, does it say the seven dispensations? Is that in your notes? No. So primarily classic dispensational theology had seven dispensations. So before their fall, there was the dispensation of innocence and we failed. Then there's the dispensation of conscience between the fall and to Noah. That failed with the flood. Then there was the dispensation of human government from Noah to Abraham. That failed. Then there was the promise dispensation from Abraham to Moses. That failed. Then there was the law, Moses to Christ. And uh, the sixth dispensation would be the church age, the dispensation of grace uh, after Christ's resurrection. And the last dispensation would be the millennium. So the other thing that dispensationalism does is it creates... Uh, really two paths of salvation uh, and, and it'll teach that there's a path for 
the ethnic Jew. So anybody who's born has some form of Jewish blood. There was a different plan of salvation for them. And um, you may not know this, but that's that's directed so much of our foreign policy. You know, I mean, our foreign policy years ago, you know, why, what was this deal with the U.S. supporting the nation of Israel and helping build the nation of Israel and sending our troops to, to defend the nation of Israel, well, part of it is a dispensational theology. Like, they're, they're still, in some sense, the people of God. Well, we'll talk about that in Romans when we get to chapters 9 through 11. Like, what do we do with them? And it's, it's a great argument. It's Paul, as a Jew, is saying, has his, has his promises failed? So we'll have time <laughs> to talk about that and dive into it deeper. But, but it is that sense of theology, a whole system of looking at the Bible. And so you'll find in dispensational circles, the Old Testament then is, is hardly ever dealt with um, because it is just a system, it's a story of failure after failure after failure. So um, that, it's, that's a short um, look at it. Uh, Presbyterians and Reformed um, before uh, that 19th century believed in a covenant. God made a covenant, a promise, an agreement. And so um, the, the scriptures are really the unfolding of this covenant, a covenant at creation. And so at creation, uh, Genesis 3.15 is one of the uh, famous verses for covenant theology, where in, in, the, in the midst of that fall, God promises Jesus will come, and Jesus is going to finish. He will complete. And so when you hear us at times emphasizing things like elected and chosen before the foundation of the world. It, it is to connect all of Scripture. Christ came to fulfill all of Scripture. The Old Testament was important. The Old Testament law was important to him. The sacrificial law was important to him. It wasn't, okay, this has failed. We better, oh, I hate to do this, but Jesus, it's your turn. Give it a try. Um, so a covenant is this committed relationship marked by loyalty, obligation. Uh, a simple definition of covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. A bond in blood sovereignly administered. So in creation, blood and a covenant promise is made to Adam and Eve right after the fall. God had skins to cover them. God promises that, that there will be one who will crush the head of Satan and he will bruise his heel. And, um, and so Adam and Eve looked forward to that. They looked forward to it. And many believe that when she gave birth to Cain and she says, by the power of God, I brought forth the man, that Eve was thinking, this is the one who's going to undo this work of sin and this fallenness, this separation. Um, so uh, this covenant's um, come to us in, um, so there's, there's some similarity to the dispensationalism. And so uh, most dispensationalists now believe in a progressive, what they call a progressive dispensationalism. So it's a little bit more like covenant theology that there is this unfolding of God's promise. And, and so uh, in covenant theology, we like to think of a covenant of creation, that God made a covenant with creation uh, at, at, uh, at, at at the very beginning, and it will be fulfilled. And these beautiful pictures of the tree of life and the tree of life over here is this, is this beautiful fulfilling 
of God's promise to all of creation. Um, but you read about it that as it unfolds, sometimes it's called uh, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, um, where God, again, over and over emphasizes, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and so to Abraham, you know, in, in Genesis 12, you know, I, I am taking you from a group of idol worshipers, and uh, you're going to be mine. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to do all of this, Abraham. And we see as that story unfolds, every time Abraham says, I, I need to do it, it creates issues. I need to fulfill this. Uh, it's in my hands to do it. I better take my, maid's, my wife's maidservant because she's barren and she's 70-some years old, and so I better, you know, I, and, and um, God says, no, I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to do it. Um, so uh, we also like to call it the covenant of grace. Um, but, yeah, that's, a <laughs> that's short and quick. But like I say, if, if you've got, if that's too confusing um, and you want further, there's, there's quite a bit of good stuff to read. There's one um, book, Far As the Curse is Found, that I would suggest is really, really good um, in kind of bringing covenant theology from creation to glorification. Um, so when we give ourselves to, the, to uh, support the church and its worship and work, the marks of the church, these are the things that you should expect regardless of if you're a member of Three Rivers or any other church. But we would say the marks of a church, this is what makes a church different. And I've run into um, issues about this with other Christian ministries. So um, there's lots of parachurch things out there, and the advantage of parachurch is they get to choose what they're going to do. So Young Life can say, we exist to bring Christ to high school students. They don't have to discipline them. <laughs> uh, they don't baptize them, hopefully. Um, they, they don't care about their parents. They probably do, but, but in a sense, they're very focused. And there's an appeal to that. Right? We can, we can kind of choose. This is, this is our target group. When um, a church is planted, the target group is sinners. Sometimes a church plant will say, oh, we're going to go and, and, and try to reach the art community. And I think that's fine. I think you can, you can flavor your ministry for whatever the culture around you is. But I don't think it's for us to pick and choose. You know, you, you come into the church, well, you'd be a better fit at a different one. Um, so the marks of a church. The first is that the word is to be preached. Okay, a, a church should focus its ministry around the word of God. It is to be read. It is to be studied. It's to be memorized. Kids are to be catechized in it. Uh, the word of God is to dwell richly in the church. So when you look at our order of worship, it starts with the Word of God and it ends with the Word of God. And in between, we use the Word of God to guide our thinking about confession, about what is right, about what is true. Um, the Word of God is to be preached. Um, sacraments are to be administered. In the uh, Reformed churches, we have two sacraments. Some churches have added a third. Um, uh, that third sacrament would be uh, foot washing. So some of you may have been in a place where they do foot washing as a sacrament. Um, but for, for like, please no, not here. <laughs> I have nice feet. So, um, 
But anyway, uh, sacraments administered. So the reason I mention this is we had a, a Christian school in St. Louis, and they approached us and said, we'd like to once a year do communion for our students. And I'm like, no. I, stay in your lane. <laughs> I said, if, if you do communion, will you also do church discipline? Will you also do membership? Will you also fence the table? Will you also uh, follow up? Um, it, it, is a, it is given to the church community as they meet, as the word is preached. Um, I've, I've heard of kids going off to camp, you know, and having communion out there at camp and getting baptized over at camp. And that baptism has nothing to do with connecting to a body, to a, a, a local church. It just is, hey, you, you want to get that done? Let's get that done. Um, and so we say the marks of the church preach word the right uh, administration of the sacraments. So um, baptism and the Lord's Supper. The third one most people would probably miss. We said, what are the, what are the three marks? Uh, discipline practiced. We will talk more about that next week. But I want you to understand that right now you are under the discipline of the church. And when we start our service, you'll be under the discipline of the church. You will have the word preached, we'll have the sacrament administered, and you will be disciplined. So think of discipline in the sense of being discipled or being coached in a positive sense. We think of discipline in a negative sense, but um, the right use of church discipline. And um, it's so important that we grasp that. When you read all of those New Testament letters, you have elders, you have discipline, you have people being confronted. Um, you have offerings being taken and shared. Uh, and, and that just doesn't happen without a, a structure. Uh, and so many people are like, well, I'm just a Christian, but I don't believe in denominations, and I, I, it's just me and Jesus. I'm like, that's not his plan. You're an aberration. That's not how it's supposed to be. You are, why, why would he have, this is what an elder is to be? Why would he have, this is what a deacon is to be? Why would he list that out there? Because he's expecting every Christian to be under the care of an elder and a deacon, more so than a pastor. Um, and so uh, these marks of the church, no church is perfect, and I, especially ours. <laughs> um, I lose sleep over our church with just hopes for, for better things and figuring things out and uh, care over our kids. No denomination is perfect none of us really completely understands the, the Bible correctly I'm not sure the reason that the Lord has allowed so many different denominations to thrive but I, I think it sometimes it is to keep uh, one church from having too much power um, and I think even different denominations are used in different ways I know when we planted in California Calvary Chapel was reaching lost people by the droves and they would come to our church <laughs> after they'd been there for a couple of years and they would be exhausted they would be exhausted and i would ask them you know what do you how do you want to serve and nine out of ten would say is it okay if we just kind of attend for a year um because they had been so driven by this mission of reaching lost people that there was not much of a rest or body life it was mission 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 and um a church is to be both a mission and a home um and, and, they would, and so they would come to our church, and they'd want to go a little deeper in the scriptures. Um, they'd want some rest. 
actually. Uh, so I don't, I don't know why, but if, if it comes across at times, even that joke I made earlier about baptizing my son in the EPC, um, I, 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 I tell people with, with a great amount of wealth to, when you die, to, to not put all your money in a trust for the PCA. Like, we don't know what this denomination will be in 25 years. I tell people with great wealth, I said, if I was you and I had a lot of money on my deathbed, I, I, would, I would make it so that it was all spent in five years. Because I know lots of people gave money to Princeton Seminary, Yale Divinity School, the YMCA, <laughs> uh, the Young Men's Women's Christian Association, lots of money, camps and all that stuff. We don't know where they'll be. But um, anyway, I'm ranting. How do I support the church in its worship and work? I've got four things in here for you to think about. One is prayer. Uh, pray for your church. Um, we're, we'll probably do another uh, directory once this class is over. But take the membership directory with you uh, when you go on a walk or on a hike. And pray for the people. Pray for the pastors. Pray for the officers. Um, this requires interaction with people. Uh, it requires you know some people. Make effort to know people. Um, presence would be the second thing. In, in Hebrews 10, it says, don't give up the habit of meeting together. The meeting together is to be a habit. Um, under prayer, you can put James 5, and James 5, 13 to 16, and Acts 2, uh, verse 42. Praying, praying for the church, the the presence don't give up meeting together uh, sabbath worship is vital our god gave us the sabbath as a gift it is a gift to us it takes faith to practice a sabbath to say i am laying aside all my worldly endeavors and my worldly work i am going to trust god who set the world on its axis and gave us a week i'm going to trust god that i will get what i have to get done in six days and I'm going to, as an act of faith, rest on the Sabbath. I will meet with the people of God. We will worship our God together. And I'm not going to go mow the yard. I'm not going to go. Now, some of you will find rest in mowing the yard. I find rest in going on a bike ride. And so we don't get legalistic in this. But I'm saying for you and your relationship with the Lord, seek what is restful on that day. What will bring your soul rest? Um, uh, you know, we, we, we expect people at church functions, but um, I, I love it that I was in sales and had my own business for 10 years because I understand what it's like. <laughs> I understand what it's like to not be able to clock out for many of you. I understand what that's like. We, Tammy and I, set it up this way. We celebrated Sabbath from sundown on Saturday to sundown on Sunday. That's how many of the Jews celebrated Sabbath, sundown to sundown. And so on Sunday night, you can pull out your stuff and you can start preparing for Monday. But then Saturday night, and I think it's better. It was better for our kids, too. We were, we were very adamant about our kids. On Saturday night, we start preparing for the Sabbath. We don't go spend the night at so-and-so's house and stay up till 3 a.m. and sleep through church. We don't. We are Christians, and the Sabbath is our most important day. It is a blessing for us and for the community of God. And so we make a priority of resting starting on sun Saturday night. But... Um, presence, community. How do I support the church in its worship and work? Prayer, presence, community. 
Um, we must do more than pray and just show up. We are called to live our lives together in Acts chapter 4. We're to share our whole lives together. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8, the apostle says, You are so dear to us, we didn't just share the gospel, we shared our very life with you. I think that's a hard thing to do in our community. I think that's one of the hardest things that we find in our church. And I think it's because uh, small town, people know everybody, and um, you've, got your, you've got your circle. We don't have a lot of new folks moving in. I don't do a, like I used to do a new membership class, sometimes there'd be 30 folks, and 20 of them were new to town. And it was fairly easy. Like, hey, all of you are brand new. <laughs> hey, we're gonna have dinner at our house, and we'll start a small group, and we have a new elder would come up, and we're like, this new elder, this deacon, that's your group, you know, and it was easy. I think it's hard for us because, because our schedules are packed, and I think most of us have fairly filled our schedule, but um, it's, it's something that's very important. We share our lives together in fellowship with each other. We're involved in each other's lives that we can rejoice and mourn together. We support the church in giving. Uh, we give, I like to put it in three ways. We give uh, treasure, so we give money. Um, we tithe. This is not checked by me or Ricky. <laughs> um, one of the reasons is because I, I don't ever want myself to be stuck with this. Uh, I better not confront this person because they give half of our budget. <laughs> or if there's conflict between the brothers and I, and I have to ask somebody to repent to another person. Well, you're just doing that because, you know, uh, they built a new church for you. Um, so I, I keep out of that. Um, the deacons usually know, and there's someone that, that you know, we're, we're pretty careful with uh, how funds come in and get distributed, but um, tithing is an important biblical concept. Uh, it's nothing we should be ashamed of. Genesis 14, Hebrews 7, Genesis 28. Uh, tithing, uh, it was clear from the Old Testament that it was the first fruits. There was something interesting about the first fruits, right? The first fruits were an act of faith. It's not, hey, let's bring the whole harvest in and make sure we've got enough for ourselves and our livestock. And then, then once all the bills are paid, what do we have left? No, first fruits was another act of faith. The Sabbath is an act of faith. Prayer is an act of faith. Giving is an act of faith. And the clear instruction from Scripture was you gave on the increase. Um, and again, uh, we're not going to be legalistic about this. There's some churches and cults that, <laughs> that actually look at your W-2. Uh, so, and I've heard of churches in the PCA where the, the, the officers all had to give a report of, of that. Um, maybe we should. I, I, we, we're not, we're not going to do that. But, um, and of course there are circumstances. Uh, of course there are people uh, that is far and above it, it, in, a, in a season in life. Um, but but that's, that's our expectation. Um, giving is a response to what Christ has done for us. It's not membership dues. We owe Christ everything. All we have is his. Uh, if he asks for 10% um, as an act of faith, we should give it joyfully. I've had people say, God loves a joyful giver. I'm not happy about it, so I'm not going to give. <laughs> like, I don't think that was the intent of that text. Um, we give by serving in giving time. Um, each other, it takes time and energy, um, and it is crucial. We give by sharing our talents. As I said earlier, 
uh, sometimes someone will come in and you're just like that we needed this person John and Mary aren't here but when John came John and Mary came it was funny the like the second or third week that they had been here maybe it was longer than that but that's when COVID hit and John sent me an email it's like hey I don't want to intrude but I can set up a video thing for you I've got a spreadsheet here's how much it costs and here's how we could do it and I just thought you know that that's that's typical of what our God does you know there was he knew a need was coming and he provided a new person to walk in and take care of that need um, so uh, you should look at your skills your life experience and see how God might use you in the church let me just quick review um, it says in the vow uh, to the best of your ability I don't really like that wording in the, in the sense that um, it's interesting we're, we're doing this uh, capital campaign and to update this building um, and all the names that I gave of people to our consultant every one of them was willing to help <laughs> every single one and he's like that's weird you know how 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 did you and I'm like I'm like our, our our church is full of people that are that are willing to help if they're given direction if they're given a clarity they, they they would love they love to help and I said also I think sometimes I'm hard to say no to and I try not to take advantage of that <laughs> and so I'm telling you you can say no to me I can ask you hey are you willing to do this can you do this and you can say no now, um, ex-Catholics are the best new members because they treat me like I'm a priest. And so when I ask them, they're like, yes, Father. <laughs> Surely, Father, we will do that, Father. Um, but uh, someone, someone in church said no to something I asked uh, a couple weeks ago. And I, and I sent her a message like, congratulations, this is the first time. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. You said no to something I asked you to do. And, um, and it shows you trust me. So it doesn't mean if you're able, I will not be the person that says, what are you doing Friday the 28th? And if there's nothing on the schedule for Friday the 28th, I gotcha. Uh, I, don't, I don't ask that way. I'm like, here's something, I, I try not to. If I do, you can call me out on it. But you know, here's something we need some help with. Think about it, pray about, it, are you willing? So it is as you are able. Um, and so in, in the bold print here, this, this vow summarized, I'm a sinner saved only by God's grace to me through his son, Jesus Christ, whom I now seek to follow in my life. As I seek to follow him, I know I must continue to rely on his grace to depend on the strength of the Holy Spirit he gives me rather than my own. I know that I can't do this on my own and must commit to grow in my worship and service of God alongside fellow sinners saved by his grace. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for all the churches that preach your gospel regularly, that administer your sacraments, that exercise discipline. We pray your blessing upon them and upon us and upon those that you would bring through our doors. Lord, may we be faithful to your word and our calling. Whatever our culture might say, whatever our people might want, may we be faithful to you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask for your direction and your help. Amen.